Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. The living card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Very well. Very well indeed. Enjoying the sun. Just woke the cat up with our beginning of podcast synchronisation. Damn, yeah. He's swiftly gone back to sleep, so so don't feel too Uh, bad. Wow. Was it just like a sort of raised eyebrow at you? It's like twitched ever so slightly. (laughs) <laughs> and now, I mean, there's a good chance he's actually just dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's very, looks incredibly comfortable. Um, great. That's that's very lovely. I'm sure our listeners will be pleased to hear about Monty. I'm assuming it's Monty. It is Monty, yeah. So the episode title gives away that this is another one of those episodes where we're announcing a new card. And I think it's going to be... A somewhat short episode. We're just going to dive in and talk about it, but we've got some pretty intriguing angles to pursue with this card. So why don't we just just crack on with it? Yes. Okay. Let's. Shall I read it out? Yeah. Okay. We have small favor. It is a two cost rogue event with two combat icons. And when mm. I tell people the traits, there's a good chance they can guess the entirety of the rest of the words on the card. Has mm. favor and service. Deal one damage to a non-elite enemy at your location. Reaction: When you play small favor, increase its cost by two. Change deal one damage to deal two damage. And then it has another reaction: When you play small favor, increase its cost by two. Change at your location to at a location up to two connections away. So this follows pretty much exactly the templating on decoy and intel report. Yes, it does. The only space for any difference is the difference between evade and damage, right? I mean, Intel report there, it's identical. It's one clue in your location to two clues and up to two locations away. So yeah, so that's, I suppose that's the first place that we need to consider this card, isn't it? But just before we do, if you're looking at the art of this card on your phone or somewhere not very... Uh, high resolution when you get this card in your hands look at the art closely because i think it's one of the most beautiful cards i've seen in arkham i love the man in the background who's just done the small favor he seems to be staggering off as though maybe he's also had a bit of a rough time of it yeah it's just so evocative i think it looks awesome yes it does it's a really nice card yeah so is so is it any good and how does it compare (laughs) to our other favor and service cards. Well, we've got two angles we can yeah exactly we've got two angles we can attack this from how does it compare to other cards and does it fit in some kind of archetype alongside the other favor slash service cards mm. so let's tackle the first one first how does it look against other i guess we'd call them direct damage cards yeah so that's a, a, a just a card an event you can play that deals damage to an enemy. And specifically, we'll look at some rogue ones because they're probably the most directly comparable. Yeah, so there's there's three that come to mind. There's Sneak Attack level 0 and Sneak Attack level 2. They're both two-cost events that deal two damage, but they come with a condition to who you can deal the damage to. So for Sneak Attack level 0, it needs to be an exhausted enemy at your location. And for sneak attack level two, it has to be an enemy not engaged with you at your location. So either engaged with someone else, aloof, or exhausted because you evaded them. So that's that's two cards. But then there's an extra card worth comparing, which is coup de gras, which is a 
two-cost rogue event that came out last cycle, and it also has two combat icons, and it also just deals a single damage, but it's one of the fated cards, which means that it ends your turn, and it has this extra clause that if you kill an enemy with this one damage, you get to draw a card, and I actually think probably most importantly, Coup de Gras doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity, and notably, small favour does provoke a tax opportunity if you want to use it to damage something engaged with you. So there's, there's a lot going on there. There's lots of yeah. slightly different axes on these cards. Yeah. If we look first of all at Sneak Attack level 0, what we've got there is a card which does 2 damage for 2 resources. Mm-hmm. With small favour, we need to pay 4 resources to do 2 damage. Mm. But Sneak Attack requires us to... requires the enemy to be exhausted and unengaged sorry yeah no just un- just exhausted doesn't matter whether mm-hmm. it's engaged or not uh, typically it will be unengaged because you'll have just evaded it then played sneak attack so you're paying two to skip the exhaust requirement on sneak attack which feels quite good for a lot of investigators appreciate there's say a finn he evades easily and frequently mm. So he's maybe not going to consider that that extra two resource saving worth it. Yeah, so I suppose for Sneak Attack, what you're sort of circling around is the idea of the hidden cost with Sneak Attack. And the hidden cost is that often you've needed to spend another action first to get the enemy into a position to do the two damage to them. So it's normally two actions, two resources and a card to do two damage, which isn't up there with the reliability of a weapon, say, that's doing kind of regular two damage but in a character who's happily evading anyway sneak attack i've always felt is a way of sort of adding value to your evades because you might evade an enemy and then remove them from the board as a follow-up yeah yeah i I, yeah our analysis doesn't include for the fact that you might be evading an enemy anyway yeah so if it's a big enemy you might want to evade it and then because you're the rogue you're throwing two damage onto the the enemy just to help the rest of the team as well yeah. While everyone so, else wails on it with their swords and machetes and stuff. In that situation, you know, if you're using small favour, you want to evade the enemy as well and then use small favour. At, at that point, it's then a strictly less good sneak attack because if you want to do the same amount of damage and you're, do, you're doing the evade anyway, you're probably paying four for small favour. But of course, that then means this is in the faction that generates resources like no other. Yes. And it comes in the cycle that has Preston, where paying four for something might feel fairly trivial. Mm-hmm. So that, that it just, it kind of, it skews the equation a bit, doesn't it, at that point? Yeah, it, it does. It absolutely does. You consider what that extra two resources for the additional damage is buying you, and it's potentially buying you quite a lot. If, mm. if, we, if we did a straight comparison to someone evading an enemy and then playing sneak attack to small favour in Preston by no means is he guaranteed to pass that agility test because all of his stats are at one so he much rather paid two resources for the for the automatic evade effectively and that then plays plays the card or pays the extra cost for the card of course then he's potentially triggering an attack of opportunity yeah it's it's a funny one isn't it yes it, it absolutely is I suppose the attack of opportunity thing then like that leads us back around to coup which avoids the attack of opportunity but has a built-in turn-ending effect because it's fated. And I like Coup and have tried to use it 
a fair amount, but I find that because it's going to end my turn, it often sits in my hand waiting for the right moment. And looking, comparing it to small favor, small favor seems so much more flexible that I can do one or two damage. I can do it to someone near me or someone far away. Well, it will come on to far away because I think that that's an interesting point to discuss by itself. I've yeah. had exactly the same issue with Coup de Gras as well, where I actually put it in my, my Preston deck for the, the Circle and Done, and then I don't think I used it once over the whole campaign. Mm. I think mm. one health enemies are probably quite rare and yeah. often not worth expanding a card and two resources to get rid of. Yes, at which point you're using coup to finish off bigger enemies. Yeah. Having, having, having done the damage earlier in the turn. Exactly, yeah. Already done two, four damage to, say, a, a, a three or a five health enemy. And you just need that last point to, be, to, to finish them off. And that's a more of a... Of a it's, a it's a window of, of usefulness that's getting slimmer, isn't it? Yes. I think the more players you have, the more likely you are to have those situations where your rogue player is running into a location... Uh, on their penultimate action and sniping an enemy because they can mm-hmm. and and coup doesn't require you to be engaged but particularly in solo like often the action that I most often dedicate to dealing with enemies is action one that's when you've drawn it off the encounter deck and you're either evading or killing it to move on yeah and coup just doesn't allow for that so it sort of it has quite a niche place Despite, you know, it sweetens the deal offering the, the card draw, but... Yeah, yeah. and it, it does have two combat icons on it, which is nice, but then mm. actually so does so does Small, small Favour. Favor. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, uh, what, that's what's so striking about that they're the same cost, same XP, same icons, same text, you know, deal one damage is exactly how both cards begin. So they're very similar. <laughs> yeah. To jump onto what you said briefly, which is the two locations away thing having mm, played yeah. with intel report and decoy a bit during this cycle now i think that side of the card the up to two locations away is really really good that i think yeah. it's 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 disarmingly good you maybe don't expect it to be as useful as, as, as it is and often have been in a situation where there's one clue at a neighboring location mm-hmm. so spending four resources and one action avoids at least three actions to move to a location, investigate, move back. Mm-hmm. On top of things like enemies being at locations or additional costs to move in and out of locations, the investigation test, all this kind of stuff is built in there. Mm. And then you factor in the fact it can be two locations away. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, one clue appears over there. You need one more clue to get to the next agenda. There's one clue left on location, whatever. Just boom, done. Four resources. Yeah. We, we touched on it in our Rita episode when you talked about because Rita has built-in movement with her ability, she can go and deal with those distant enemies and get back in a more efficient manner than other investigators. And these this trio of service cards exactly hints at that. We're, just, we're unused to, as players, thinking about dealing with things at a distance because it's just not been the way that you're able to play the game. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're including yeah. this suite of cards, your your kind of area of influence on the board is so much larger than it has ever been before. And I think if, if you look at Small Favour in particular, there's quite a few... So, so, you know, off the top of my head, enemies like the thing that follows, 
mm-hmm. being able to deal with that. As we all know, the thing that follows is, is an enemy you ignore until it's on top of you, and then it's arrived at the worst possible time because you've got mm-hmm. three other enemies that turn to deal with. This deals with it early and efficiently. Uh, well, six resources, maybe not that efficient, but but you know, compared to what the the cost is of it being on you, we've had scenarios where. We had, years ago, we played Midnight Masks and we had the absolute nightmare opening. I think there was, there was three of us, so we had a couple of cultists on the board. And first turn, you know, mysterious chanting shows up. And at that point, you're reliant on being able to move to one of the cultists and then hit it and kill it, mm-hmm. which is three actions, right? Because they start two locations away from you. Yeah, one starts, unless you don't have the house, one starts three away. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that that's that's a and in fact, when we played that scenario and that happened, we failed to kill it and then the agenda advanced at the beginning of uh, of the next turn. Three, so we had yeah. like two turns and then we failed altogether. Yeah. So brutal. brutal. Just, I'm just, nodding but, so heavily with where you're going with this. But but you know what I mean? Like and um Echoes of the Past that happens as well. You've got these cultists who are running around gathering doom. That kind of stuff happens in quite a lot of scenarios. So just being able to say Right, we don't worry about that. I can snipe it from here, uh, and it, and it's mm-hmm. sorted. Or you know, a two health enemy lands on your seeker, and uh, you know the seeker can't get rid of them. Right, the rogue two rooms away gets his mate to beat beat him up for you. It's very thematic, isn't it? That idea of you're you're paying quite a lot, but it's sort of someone turns up and just hustles this creature off into the night. Yeah. You know? cudgels them about it's quite a big favor in a way yeah it's not really a small favor i think that they're really flexible and i i I think they're i like them a lot it's making me reconsider all of the enemies that have spawn instructions and historically i felt like when an enemy is spawn any empty location or farthest location that normally feels like a relief or if they've got something to do with doom it actually means that a bit annoying because they spawn away from you and you have to go and deal with them and this is such a fantastic solution for that because you don't have to go and deal with them. You just, if you can pay the money, they're done. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just agreeing with what you said, but I think that is a, a really incredibly flexible opportunity. And that's where this card stands out from Sneak Attack and Kudakar because they require you to go and be involved. Yeah. Small favour, you're almost doing things at arm's length. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to see how they impact on different player numbers as well. Because my feel is that if, if you've got a mid-sized party, there might be a tendency to split up. And being able to assist your teammate at a distance might be more useful. But that's just a gut feeling. I haven't got anything to back that up, really. If you're the sort of flex rogue who's generating lots of resources and sort of doing everything by themselves maybe with lone wolf and going going off alone being able to still help the rest of the party but do that at a distance feels really appealing that yeah that could be a really fun play style that whoever you're playing as as a rogue whether that's schizo tool or Seth or whoever it is you kind of just wander off uh so are there are there good homes for this card i mean i, th- I think preston is crying out for it it's testless damage and he can afford it better than anyone else i think it, it it really wants to be in someone rich who can take advantage of the the different levels you can play it at for the, for the best mm. one for the moment I'll, I'll i'll ask you the question back in a slightly different way frank if you see a lot of cards that are mechanically or thematically linked there's a tendency to want to put them all in your deck mm. so when we got winging it 
impromptu barrier and improvised weapon you think oh i'll put all these in a deck and then i'll use cornered with them and and you know and away you go do you think these three cards all go in the same deck or do you think there's any investigators who want to use them all together i've been wondering about it because i I think of intel report as fairly similar to scene of the crime but we haven't really received other well i suppose we received mano a mano and what's the healing one second wind but the bold keyword kind of restricts all of those being played at the same time anyway and i don't think they all go in a deck so my hunch would be that you wouldn't do that and you'd maybe use one or two of the service cards depending on what your role was or maybe shoring up a thing that you weren't as good at that would be my my hunch where the the exceptions for that i think are in preston because he can plausibly afford, afford to pay all of them yeah and working out which you know how many you take of each so maybe you take two intel report and then one small favor and one decoy yeah. or maybe you're running cunning distractions so you don't run decoy or whatever it is you kind of you work out on top of that for preston is the fact that they're all testless yes yeah so rather than putting that money into your now five experience sorry eight experience streetwise you put it into the card instead and don't even have to take the test yeah and that's that's not to be sniffed at, obviously. I think the other places that I'm intrigued about this card are in Seth, because she can paint it. And if you end up, say, with one small favour and one intel report under Seth, you've got a huge amount of flexibility about how you get clues and how you deal damage, which I'm intrigued by. And then I've also thought, of course, Wendy can keep replaying this if the if the setup is right. So yeah, she yeah. also could could be doing that and, and i mentioned skids earlier and i just want to say as well you know in our recent episode where we completely forgot about skids i wonder as well if you're if you're in a strictly enemy management role for skids having all sorts of ways of doing damage that mean you know say an aloof enemy turns up you can pay two for a small favor and just deal with the aloof enemy if that's a whippoorwills or an aloof cultist or whatever it is that that could be really handy to have a kind of box of tricks all around damage and it seems like the rogue faction has started to really flesh out their their like event toolbox around damaging enemies and this this is like the most toolboxy of them isn't it yeah absolutely yeah yeah well same question back to you did you feel like you could take all of the service cards in one investigator well i think that's a trap i don't know we've talked a lot about the factions I think your point about Seth is absolutely bang on. It's nice having Seth. You're very welcome. Nice having <laughs> Seth be someone who can has the money and the 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 tools to turn her mind to it, doing very well at whatever task you need it to do. So you get a lot of ta- you get a lot of clues you need to find in a short period of time. She can pull out some double or nothing and right of seeking, or a big enemy turns up, she can pull out the backstab and double or nothing at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe this fits along with her as well, just to give her something else to do in a downtime when she runs very rich. I agree, Preston seems like a, a really natural home for them because he's he, again, wants to be flexible. He's got a completely flat start line. Yeah. It's very low and flat, <laughs> but it is yeah. flat. So he likes being flexible. He likes paying, to do, paying other people to do his dirty work for him. You, maybe you end up upgrading into one sneak attack two and one small favour. You've got the most efficient, in terms of cost, damage through sneak attack 2 but then you've also got the flexibility of small favor 
if you need to snipe an enemy far away or whatever it is, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I, I thought idly, and we talked about this earlier this week, was could you build a Seeker deck who doesn't leave a location mm. and uses various tools to, you know, sets up a barricade? Yeah. And then uses these tools to steal clues from outside the barricade. So that's like in the know and seeking answers, things like that? Yeah, exactly, yes. And, well, I, I, <laughs> I started messing around with it. I was quite excited when I was talking to you about it, Frank. Mm, yeah. The deck I ended up on is Rex because he can take all of these rogue cards. I don't know whether it's as easy for anyone else to do it. Yeah, I, I don't. You could. I don't think so, right? You could maybe do something with Finn or Jenny where you take the seeker cards. Mm. What What I noticed was you could make a build using Quick Study and pick up clues from everywhere else on the map, drop them back on your location, and then pick them up using Rex's ability. Okay. And yeah. that lets you trigger cards like uh, Crack the Case and Connect the Dots multiple mm. times as well, because they work every time all the clues on a location been, have been discovered. So you Not position limited. yourself at a high shroud location so that you can efficiently connect the dots to other shroud locations. Yes. Wow. Okay, I, I mean, I like that. I'm intrigued by that. I hope you have a list that we can share with listeners. I do, yeah. So I, I picked... I think you'd probably go maybe decoy on small favor, two of each, and then mm-hmm. one other card. Maybe Intel report, but you'd already want to pick a couple of in the know, I would say, once yeah. you've got some experience to start mm-hmm. picking those clues from other locations. Maybe you want something cheeky like a hiding spot or something like that as your fifth off class. I did consider that, yeah. I also thought you might want like a burglary as well. Because if you're oh, yeah. dropping clues, you sit on a low shroud location and use burglary to to pick up those clues you've dropped. <laughs> yeah, and then you can pay your six cost for small favoring and decoying and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You mentioned Jenny then. Uh, I want to mention her as well because she obviously is better placed to be able to afford to play the service cards like Preston is. And I feel like this cycle has really emphasized that maybe the, the way the rogues play is just in a completely different league in terms of their resources. Because the ideal is that you're coming into the last portion of a scenario as a rogue with, say, 15 or 20 resources in your pool. And that means you're getting a decent plus three or plus four from Well Connected if you're using that. You're at like an, an eight skill with Money Talks if you're using that. And also that means then if you have this panic moment of we need to kill a two health enemy that's just spawned and is accumulating doom two locations away, the rogue can kind of take that hit in their resource pool without worrying. Yeah. So just, I mean, I'd love, I've always wanted to do this and never got around to it. I'd love to do graphs of, of the resources you generate over a scenario and just to see the And different... keep track as you play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then have them to compare. So say, you know, you play Midnight Masks with five different investigators and see what your resource, resource curves look like depending on the style you play. You know, when I play Guardian, I rarely have any resources, I would say. I'm normally saving up to play the next big card or, or playing, you know, Scene of the Crime or things like that. It's sort of steady. But I think as a rogue, you know, ideally you do you do want to just have a massive pool of resources so that you can suddenly explode and do all of these different tricks. You literally want to be resourceful. Uh, yes, absolutely, yeah. 
So yeah, I'm excited about this card. I think it's I think it's nice. I think it's the kind of card that maybe be the like the thirtieth card in the deck as well. You know, I'll I'll slot this in and see see how helpful it will be. And I th- I think it's likely to be the kind of card that we end you end up using in lots of different useful ways. And it doesn't seem immediately apparent what they are. But yeah, killing aloof enemies, killing doom enemies. Suddenly, you know, the list starts to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want. If you want a, a support card in your deck, someone that's not necessarily central to your, your key strategy, then having one that's as flexible as possible is good. Mm. This has two icons as well, so that's always going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think that they're really, really good cards. They're, they're just they're top top notch. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why I said that. It's I'm just it's just <laughs> it's making me think as well of like a different form of pay to win. Pay to win historically in the game has been playing as Jenny and boosting all of your stats with stat boosters. But the service cards are pay to do something automatically. But it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as mechanical as just making sure you're four above a threshold or five above the threshold every test you take, depending on your difficulty. Yeah, I like it a lot. I would I think I would really like to play Preston in four player and be Flex Preston who kind of does his own thing. And sit on a huge pile of cash, and then suddenly, you know, those those two clues at a shroud six location that no one else can get, Preston's just bought them. You know, that's that's the sort of fun style to play, isn't it? Oh uh, yeah, and you know what? This this has happened several times during our campaign, and you know, there's a, as I said, there's a, there's a clue on another location, and uh, Preston's like, don't worry, folks, I've got a, I've got a man for this. <laughs> and everyone's like, fine. Preston handles it. He just he just opens his uh, little address book. Yeah, yeah. Something that would have been awkward for anyone to do. Preston just pays yeah. through, and it's done. So good, so good. Well, I think that about covers it. Is there is there anything else in this card you'd like to say? No, uh, I, don't I suppose think we so. never quite came down. Like, is it better than sneak attack and coup, or is it just a case that you pick your poison? It, I like that it's different enough that we could have that really prickly decision about, well, in this case, yes, in this case, it's definitely not. Because it shows that there's there's enough diversity in these cards for for one not to be the best choice. I think the the example I gave where you're Finn, the, the cost for you evading enemies is pretty low and really it's something you're going to be doing anyway. So it makes more sense to be to have the cheaper version in sneak attack in your deck. Mm, yeah and i think that'll apply with lots of investigators who are trying to do lots of different things i think small favor really triumphs as a support card in in lots of decks mm. even if it's not a card that's central to their strategy have yeah. i just blood is, is that does that make sense that does make sense yeah and as you were saying that i was actually thinking the other thing we've not mentioned is killing hunter enemies as they chase you yeah, I mean, you sort of touched on your... that with yeah. yeah thing that follows, but and actually, decoy is really good for that as well. Yeah, exactly. The hunter enemies there at that turn to come and crunch on you, and then they all suddenly get evaded. Yeah, and you've bought yourself another few actions worth of peace. Yeah, cool. Well, listener, if you've got an investigator you think would utilize small favor to the max, let us know about it. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook and Twitter and on Patreon and designed by humans. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Discord. I'm on Reddit sometimes. 
less on the Reddit at the moment, but I am still there occasionally. So yeah, say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm FB on Twitter. That's EPH underscore B-E-E. And I'm around the places, Zooey Glass or Zozo. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. You needn't think I'm crazy, Darren Reeves. Plenty of others have queerer prejudices than this. Why don't you laugh at Oliver's grandfather, who won't ride in a motor? If I don't like that damn subway, it's my own business. And we got here more quickly anyhow in a taxi. You recall that Andrea Mann's forte was faces. I don't believe anybody since Goya could have put so much sheer hell into a set of features or a twist of expression. And before Goya, you have to go back to the medieval chaps who did the gargoyles and chimeras on Notre Dame and Mont Saint-Michel. 